Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Who is this suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 53? Well, when one honestly and sincerely examines the text, one thing that we can be real clear about is that the suffering servant is not Israel, is not the Jewish people, but rather as we see in other passages from Isaiah, that suffering servant here in Isaiah 53 is indeed the Messiah. And what we're going to focus in on in our study today is the purpose of why he suffered. What did this servant bring about because he suffered and died? Well, the Word of God is most clear about this, and because of this, we can learn more about the mission of Messiah. Why God the Father sent God the Son into this world. What did His coming the first time bring about? Well, take out your Bible, and let's look again at this chapter, Isaiah chapter 53. And again, we looked at the first six verses last week, and we saw something. It is impossible. It is ridiculous to think that the suffering servant, this one whom the prophet is, is speaking about, describing, there's no way that this is the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. It is not describing the suffering that indeed the Jewish people have went through for centuries, but is speaking about a suffering of one, not many, but one. This one is the Messiah who was struck by God for a purpose. And in this study, we're going to see towards the end of our time together today, the emphasis is on why. What was the outcome of why he suffered? So look with me to where we left off last week, Isaiah chapter 53, and let's begin with verse 7. We read here, oppressed. Now, this word for oppression, it first appears in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, relating to these taskmasters, those who caused great suffering among the Hebrews in Egypt, forcing them into slavery and afflicting them greatly. So, the first thing that we see as we begin our study today in verse 7 is that that the suffering servant, yes, he suffered. He was greatly oppressed and he was afflicted. This oppression afflicted him. So again, suffering. Again, going through a, a situation of great, great pain. And then we're, we're told as we continue on, but he did not open up his mouth 
Rather, it says, as a sheep to the slaughter is led. As a female sheep, in English we call that a ewe, as a ewe before her shearers, she is silent. Now, what's, what's being said here is the fact that he was silent. He did not justify himself. He could have called for a legion of, of many legions of angels to rescue him, but he was silent, and what the text is emphasizing is this, his surrender, his willingness to be slaughtered, to be afflicted, to be oppressed, to be led to, as we'll see in a moment, death. Now, why did he do that? As the suffering servant, he is serving God his Father. God the Father sent God his Son into this world for this purpose, to suffer. And we're going to emphasize what is the outcome, what was achieved by this suffering servant? What is available even today for one if he receives this work of the suffering servant? Once more it says, and he did not open his mouth. Verse 8. Now, verse 8 has some interesting information. It begins with the word otzer, which is, in modern Hebrew, a curfew, curfew. But here, it's probably relating to the word for stopping or being arrested and the place where those who are arrested are placed. In other words, a prison. So it means from prison and from judgment. Now, we know something. He was arrested. And then he was taken ultimately to judgment. Judgment at the hand of Pontius Pilate. So this is what this is hitting to. From prison and from judgment he was taken. And then it says, and with his generation, who is discussing? Who's speaking about him? And this tells us that, that his generation did not understand the significance of what was going on. For them, so what? One was arrested, one was tried and, and judged, and now we're going to see that he's going to be put to death. The world at that time, his generation, took no interest in this. They were silent. And therefore, we read as we continue on, look at the second part, of verse 8 it says ki nigzar me'eretz chayim which means because of which no one spoke up no one was concerned with with truth no one was concerned with justice as Pilate said what is truth and therefore he was decreed meaning he was cut off he was cut off from the land of the living and now we're going to see, and I would emphasize this last part of verse 8, that he was cut off from the land of the living. For what reason? It says here, Mi pesha ami, because of the transgression of my people. Now, to me, this makes it very clear. He was suffering for his people. The transgression, he says, of my people. He suffered for Israel. 
Now, obviously, and we're going to see a reference to this in a moment, his work, what he achieved by his death, and of course, his resurrection, through that, this message of hope goes first to Israel, his people, but extended to all humanity. Everyone now has an opportunity. The heavens declare the glory of God. His creation shows that there is a God who creates and has things in order. And if we seek this creator God, he is going to lead us to this message. The scripture promises that. If you seek God, you will find him. And if you want to know truth, God will give you his truth. And it begins with just this, this gospel message. What's the gospel? This one. He was cut off from the land of the living. What does that mean? He died. And there was a purpose for his death. It tells us, because of the transgression of my people. And then look at the last part of verse 8. Now, one of the things that, that bothers me is when something is written, and it's not difficult, you, you go and you check out the grammatical construction, and you see what it is. And then for some reason, it's translated incorrectly. A willful error. Not because of a mistake, not because one doesn't know. And you say, well, how can you be so sure? Because, for example, if you go to some of the, the aids, the study aids that are available online, now, there's a lot of great places to look, but you have to be careful because many times those who are, are putting these things together, they really aren't aware of what's contained in them. They get a description. Many of them are very helpful, but they're not perfect. They're the work of man, not the work of God. And what I'm talking about is here. He says, because of the transgression of my people, now, my people, that word am for ami, my people, is in the singular. Usually, the word for, for people in, in Hebrew, we might say the people are going someplace, they are, but in Hebrew, we have to say he is because people is always singular. Now, a peculiar, a, a peculiar aspect of, of Hebrew is that many times this word in the Bible, am, will, will be utilized with a, a plural verb. So they'll do that same thing in the Hebrew text. But here we have something a little bit different. If you look here, it says, he was cut off from the land of the living. Why? Because of the transgression of my people. And then it says, he was struck, nega lamo. Now, lamo means for them. If you go to, to various places, for example, you go to Bible Hub, it'll have this in the interlinear. Now, sometimes an interlinear isn't really what it professes to be. At Bible Hub and many other places, what happens is they simply take a text, in this case, the New American Standard translation, and rearrange that to correspond with, with either the Hebrew text or the Greek text, depending upon Old or New Testament. But if you look here, they have this word, lamo, and they have below it the part of speech 
and the fact that it's third person plural. How do we say third person plural? In this case, them. So he was struck for them. Now, what that means is it goes beyond my people. It goes beyond just the children of Israel. It is so significant that it's in the plural, that he was struck for them, plural. But all too often, scriptures, translations, don't reflect the literalness of the text. Well, let's move on to, to verse 9. Here we have, And he set with the wicked his tomb. Meaning this, wicked, in this case, is just a synonym for other human beings. Meaning this, he was put into a tomb in a place where other people around that area was also buried, by the way. If indeed, we don't know this for a fact, but if the garden tomb is indeed the tomb that, that Joseph of Arimathea had prepared for himself and Lao Yeshua to be, to be buried there temporarily, as we all know, it's in an area around Jerusalem where there are numerous tombs. In fact, the tombs of the kings of Israel is in that area. So anyway, the term wicked in this context is just simply speaking about human beings, even though he is Messiah Israel, the Son of God, the precious Redeemer. He was, was put into a human tomb. This is what it's saying. And then it says, and with the wicked in his death, meaning in the time that he died, he was surrounded with, with individuals, other individuals. And, for example, we know Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man. So in his death, what happens? He's put in not just a human tomb, a tomb for humans, but a tomb of a very wealthy individual. So it's interesting that Isaiah, and we're talking about over 700 years earlier, Isaiah is speaking things that Messiah, this one, would die. He would be put into a tomb and this tomb. In his death, he would be where? Among the wicked, meaning in a wealthy man's tomb. Very interesting. And then he says concerning his death, because the context is he was cut off from the land of the living. And it says, concerning no violence that he did. He didn't do anything wrong. He was cut off, but it wasn't for a punishment of doing anything wrong. He was innocent. And that's why, that's why this is there is to tell us his death could indeed be effective for those who are transgressors because he was innocent. He died an innocent man. And it says, Velo mirma befiv, which means there was no deceit in his mouth. He spoke truth. What did Isaiah say earlier? He says, Woe am I. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I speak among a people of unclean lips. He understood. Sooner or later with human, human beings, we, we speak something that's not truthful. We, we say something that is deceitful. That is the plight of humanity, but not him. He never uttered anything 
that was deceitful. He never did anything that was, was wrong, incorrect. He died. He had that sentence decreed against him to be cut off from the land of the living, to be put to death, and he was innocent. Look now to verse, verse 10. And the Lord desired to crush him. And then we have an expression, to be made sick. Now, here again, we need to remember, I talked about this in our first session on the first half of Isaiah 53, but this idea of sickness it's simply an expression that relates to the outcome the consequences of sin so in the same way that that God in order for Messiah to suffer the punishment of of human sin not his sin not Messiah's sin but your sin and my sin we find that God it was pleasing to him because he knew the glorious outcome the redemption that would come from this. Therefore, God was pleased to crush His only begotten Son. It was His will. Why? The wonderful outcome. What is that? Salvation. And it simply also says that He made Him sick. How do we understand that? He had to deal with the consequences of sin. But once again, not His sin but your sin, my sin. It's very important when we look at this word for, for being made sick, we understand that it speaks about one becoming that, not, not doing it, meaning this. He did no sin. He had no reason to experience the consequence of sin, but it was made for him to experience that. And it also says why. Since you set a guilt offering meaning this in the Torah there are different types of of offerings one is one called the the guilt offering and it speaks about condemnation you offer it up because you're guilty you offer it up because you are worthy of condemnation and what the scripture is telling us look at the context once more since you set meaning set his soul, that is the very essence of him. What it's saying is, God made him a guilt offering. He received all the guilt. He took that upon himself, all the condemnation. He who was innocent. But he made himself, God brought it about, to be viewed as, by God, this guilt offering to pay the price. And notice what it says, and I want to translate this literally. It says, the seed will see. Now, some will say, and it's just how we translate what part of speech we give to this, because if it was Greek, we would know without any certainty, but it's Hebrew, and it's not as exact in this aspect of grammar. So it says either the seed will see, or he will see his offspring, meaning because he became this guilt offering, he's going to witness something. He's going to, to perceive the outcome of his offspring. And what is that? Could mean his offspring will see what happened to him, understand it, and he will lengthen days, meaning as an outcome of what he did, life is going to be lengthened. And this phrase is a hint towards eternal life. 
not being limited by death, but extending, going beyond, overcoming what, what would be seen as a natural death. And it says, the Lord and the delight of the Lord was in his hand and he was successful. Meaning this, everything that he did, he did it in order to be pleasing to his heavenly father. God the Father had a will. He had a plan. And it says here that this plan God delighted in. Why? Because it took those who could not be blessed, who could not experience life, true life. These individuals who were lost, who were without hope, and this Son of God. Because he was, was cut off from the land of living, because he became that guilt offering for us, because all of this, we see something. That God's plan, a marvelous plan that he delighted in, it could be fulfilled. And Messiah was the last word here, Yislach. He will be successful. He's the one that carries out the delight of God, what God delighted in, what God wanted to take place. Look now at verse 11. Verse 11 says, because, now it uses the phrase from in Hebrew, but sometimes the word from, from this, meaning because of this, as an outcome of this, as a result of this. So it means because of the trouble of his soul, meaning what he went through. Understand that he suffered not just physically, but also spiritually. How do I know that? Well, what did Messiah say upon that cross? He says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why did he say that? Because at that moment, when he became sin for us, he who knew no sin, never sinned, became sin for us. At that moment, his relationship, this eternal relationship that he had in eternity past, when he became sin on the cross, that relationship was momentarily broken. Sin separates us from God. That's why he says, why have you forsaken me? And what is this speaking to? This same thing. When he says, the trouble of his soul, that, that trouble that he went through, this, this hardship. But notice, because he went through that, it says he will see, he will witness the outcome of the cross what the cross brought about and it says and he will be satisfied you know what this tells us a very huge theological implication and that is this the cross is sufficient nothing has to be done to maintain our salvation let me share with you a an experience i had last week i was talking to a, a fellow israeli came over to visit we were discussing some some things we might do together and he made a statement he says no the cross of Christ is great but but he said he said we need to be the ones that 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 work hard to get into heaven now think about that he said it in Hebrew the Slav Hamashiach Metsuyan the, the cross of Christ is excellent. Aval, anachnos erachim, lehit mamet, kadei likanes. 
Le'machut Hashem. But we have to work hard in order to get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, what he's saying is this. The cross isn't enough. It's a cross plus our good deeds. That is heresy. This is problematic. And therefore, when we look at what the Word of God says, it says something quite different. And that is, he was successful. He brought it about. And when he looked at the outcome of his work, what it says here, the, the toil, the labor of his soul, he looked and he was satisfied. And then look at the next part of verse 11. Be dato yetzdik sadik avdi le rabin, which means with his knowledge, meaning this, knowing this, knowing what Messiah did, having knowledge of him. What's the outcome? It's with this knowledge of him that this righteous, righteous servant. Here's that, that word, avdi, sadik avdi, the righteous servant, he will justify, meaning make righteous many. This is why he was pleased, he was satisfied with the toil, the labor, the work of his soul, meaning what he did upon the cross. All of this brought about what? This righteous servant brought about the justification of many. This is what this passage of, of Isaiah 53, the middle of verse 11, is saying. And then we read, And their iniquity, and their iniquities he bore. Meaning he suffered. Now, this is clear why he went to the cross. Why this one suffered. He suffered because of their transgression, their iniquities, and when he looked and saw the outcome, he was satisfied. And it's with this knowledge of what he did, the knowledge of him, that, that many will be justified by who? By this righteous servant, what he says, my righteous servant in the text. Now let's look at our last verse, verse 12. Now let me just simply say, as we've reached this final verse, when we study these things and we ask, what do they mean? What, what is the context for understanding them? And when we look at this sincerely, honestly, without some preconceived desire to have it say this or say that, we have to agree. This is not speaking about Israel. It's speaking about one, one who suffered. And he suffered for the transgression of his people in order that it would be effective, his work, for many. And that they would not suffer for, for their guiltiness. This is what the scripture is telling us. Look at verse 12. Therefore, I will divide to him many. Now, probably what it means is I will divide a portion that's to him. I will divide his portion with many. Meaning, and the word harbe, or rabim in this case, it can mean a large number, meaning there's a big effect from this. The kingdom of God, although we read that the way into the kingdom is narrow and, and difficult and few find it, but few compared to the masses of creation, 
is still going to be many people. Look again. Therefore, I will, will set his portion, I will divide his portion to him with many. Meaning this, many others, what he achieved, his portion, what he achieved, I'm going to give it to many as well. They're going to benefit from his work. And with the, the mighty, now this can be mighty or this can be atsum, huge, a huge number. It says that he's going to divide the spoil. Again, it's, it's poetic. It simply reinforces what we've learned the first time, that, that God the Father is going to divide the portion, the outcome, what he achieved. He's going to divide it with many. The benefits of this war that he won, and it was spiritual warfare. That's why we have the word shalal. Shalal is, is the, the booty, the spoils of war. It's going to be divided to a huge number of people. That's what the scripture is telling us. And we find it's in exchange for. This outcome is in exchange for, then we have the word heira. Heira, it literally means being made naked. Now, it's not speaking to the fact that he was stripped when he was crucified, but it's being spoken of as he emptied himself out. He gave everything. And there's another aspect, and that is he endured shame. The, the contempt was placed upon him. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. So what many Bibles translate this into, and, and it captures it nicely, I would agree, and that is in exchange for the fact that he poured out, and the implication is he was poured out, he gave his life totally, he emptied himself totally unto death. Now, himself is found in this word, nafsho, the very essence. So he emptied, he poured out, he gave of his very essence, and he did so all the way to death. And then it says, and with the transgressors, he was numbered. And that simply means he was crucified among two thieves, but also, it means that, that he was condemned as a sinner by the Sanhedrin. He was numbered this way. They weren't right. They didn't get it correct. But this is what the world sees, that he was condemned. The scripture foretold this. It's not a surprise to God. Nothing is that he would be numbered with the transgressions. But notice what that brought about last part and he the the sin of many now sin here is an inclusive all sin the sin of many all my sin all of your sin if you're a believer it says and he the sins of many he bore and then we read and the transgression he interceded for transgressors because of the fact that we have transgressed the law that we're guilty that we're sinners that we are transgressors what does he do for us he's now because of what he achieved on that cross and the testimony of that god raising him from the dead what does he do now well the scripture tells us and isaiah makes mention of this 
at the end of Isaiah 53, that he makes intercession for us. We are the guilty ones. But we have been justified by his work, faith in accepting what he's done. So when we look at Isaiah 53, it does an unbelievable job speaking about what Messiah would go through, what he would experience, what he would achieve, the outcome of that. It describes it in an amazingly accurate way, pinpointing many things in order that the people could recognize him. But again, what do we know? Weren't interested in redemption. Weren't concerned about their sinful condition. And this is really what makes all the difference for eternity. Whether I fall under conviction and I say, oh God, I am guilty and I want forgiveness. I don't want to reap the consequences of my sin. I need your mercy. I need your salvation. Where is your Savior? And when someone appropriately comes before God in that manner, they are going to be revealed, have revealed to them this gospel truth. God will send someone. He'll speak. His Holy Spirit will reveal it somehow. When we say, oh God, where is my Savior? When we're like Eov, Job, and says, I know that my Redeemer lives we're going to meet him we're going to understand god is going to lead us to his truth he's faithful so ask yourself does this 53rd chapter of isaiah are you at peace when you study it thoroughly yes the suffering servant my righteous servant is is the jewish people is that what it's saying or is it speaking about my righteous servant messiah who came into this world taking upon himself human flesh, living a sinless life, but nevertheless being crucified as a transgressor, even though he was innocent. And the fact that this innocent one died, took the punishment that should have been upon us, we can have freedom and liberty. We can know eternal salvation. A great chapter that pinpoints the truth concerning the work and the personhood of Messiah Yeshua. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel.